Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. I'm Larry Wiesneck, co-president of Cowan and Company, and welcome to our podcast. We are recording this as we kick off July 4th weekend, and we hope you're finding some time to relax because certainly we all need a little R&R these days. As always, I'm here with my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, senior fellow at the Wharton Business School. And today I'm happy to say that we are also once again joined by my partner, Grant Miller, Cowan's head of capital markets. The three of us last sat down to discuss the state of the capital markets in February this year. And now, nearly five months later, we're ready to pick up the discussion with quite a lot to talk about. So David, once again, let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Larry, and good to talk with with you again, Grant. Um, Let's start with where do you think we are now? Because we talked a little bit about this in February. Where do you think we are now, and how are you advising companies to prepare for the near term? It's been quite a uh, last couple quarters in the markets and, and deal activity. And actually, I went back and, and, and listened to the, to the podcast we did back in February. I might be the only one that listened to it twice, but I did to see how we did last time in terms of what, what the last five months have all been about. And, I, and I, have, I think we had the right directional view is we weren't sure we're at the bottom, and we certainly were not. I do feel a little bit better where we are. Uh, last time, we talked about just where the market is trading. And back in February, the S&P was trading at 20 times forward or 12 month forward earnings, which was a high, which is still high of a historical basis. Today, we're at 16 times. That is a little bit below the 10 year average for, for, that, for that metric. I think that is way more in line where people can start to understand that, the, that, that valuations are coming into an area that, that can make some sense. Is it it's certainly true that the economy may suffer as interest rates continue to go higher? But now we're at least in, a, in an area where you can see broad market uh, valuations making, making a little more sense. So I think that from, a, from that perspective, I actually think we're, that we're in a, in a better spot. Notwithstanding that, when you look at some of the, the sectors that, that Cowan, Cowan spent a lot of time with, um, you look at the, the biotech IPO since the beginning of 19, fully 40% of those companies across the street have a negative enterprise value. And so, again, there are two ways to look at it that has been tough to take for those companies and investors that have, that, that have not done well. But we are certainly seeing what, what you could imagine it, our valuations reset to a level uh, where people can you know, really come in and, and start looking again. And so in terms of the, the advice, um, you know, it is, a, it is a very much of a um, make sure that you don't rely on the capital markets right now because it's very hard to rely on uh, getting good deals done. One of the pieces that we've really started to, to talk to folks about, particularly in small cap and mid cap, which are where most of the capital markets deals are, in, including for Cowan, is that relationships matter. And what I mean by that is that um, when you get back to fundamentals and folks trying, investors trying to find interesting stories to invest in, particularly in the, in the context of a capital markets transaction, they're investing in story, they're investing in the future, and they're investing in people. And so what we, I think we're, we're now really starting to come out of since the pandemic is the opportunity to actually build relationships um, between investors and senior management teams. 
And at Cowan, that's our job to, to put those two worlds together. And I think really that does make a big difference. And so in terms of what we're doing for non-deal roadshows and conferences, we are doing as much as we can to put people together so they could rebuild some of those relationships that are either new for the IPOs that never met company net investors uh, live or rebuilding it. So I do think that's a lot of what we're, we're focused on in terms of you know, w- where we go with, uh, with the current environment. Yeah, I, just, I think Grant brings up a really good point. And we, we can look at a few time periods in the not so distant past where those that took the advice that Grant is highlighting really benefited. We, you know, we can just go back to March and April of 2020. The companies that got close to their providers of capital, whether that be in their debt stack, making sure that they were t- talking to their top 10, 20 you know, lenders, uh, whether it was uh, public companies, making sure that they were staying close to their, their shareholders and also those that had been kicking the tires. And then for private companies, making sure that they were in dialogue with their existing owners, they all were served really well when the market got better because they had invested in the relationship and they had been transparent and kept folks up. If you look even further back, um, you know, go back to the, the, the global financial crisis, same thing. I can remember conversations with the largest, you know, investment grade kind of companies talking about for the first time ever, them doing debt holder relations. We often talk about shareholder relations. They needed to make sure that in those difficult times, their bondholders understood what was going on at the company, the steps they were taking. And then when the market got better, they were the ones that benefited the most of the tightest spread. So this is really important because it's not about executing today. It's about being prepared to execute tomorrow. And those who prepare are the ones who ultimately are in best position. So I know the IPO market's been quite limited for the last few months, last several months actually now. Um, What are the characteristics of those companies that have still gone public? And for those companies that were hoping to go public in 2022, but they may not fit that profile, what are you advising them that they should be doing now? Well, yeah, so the IPO market is, is just really dormant. There have been a kind of a scattering of IPOs, but, but really uh, almost hard to make a trend line out of such a few number of companies. And I'll, um, even some larger uh, companies that, that, that have um, just have a hard time getting out uh, to begin with. I think that what folks want is stability and predictability. Um, but even with some of the slower growing companies, um, that there's there's um, there are people that just want to put their hands in the, put their hands in the pocket and forget about it, and so the companies that have gone have basically had a path prior to starting their process where they knew the IPO would be placed. So that means existing shareholders making the decision with their boards that being public is a benefit to that company versus staying private, and essentially. At Cowan and across the street, our advice has been, if you're going to go out, you need to have the deal covered, meaning that we know from it, our test of water meetings and existings that the deal is essentially done because it's been quite challenging finding new investors to step into those situations, which basically means the IPO market really is, for the most part, shop for the time being. I would say, however, and I think interestingly, the SPAC market, the SPAC merger market is still reasonably active. We have probably more live SPAC merger conversations going on right now than traditional IPOs. 
And so that might sound odd given that, you know, in the news, you turn on the news and you hear, you know, everything bad about the SPAC market. Not true. The SPAC listing market that got so much attention last year, that's different. I'm talking about existing SPACs, merger with the operating companies. Related to that, how is the pipe market related to the SPAC merger? Yeah, no, it's exactly where I was going to go, which is has some of the similar dynamics. What we're seeing is because what SPACs are basically when you do the merger is you know the answer, meaning what the, the deal is going to look like because the pipe you're putting together that will be announced concurrently with the merger before going through the entire SEC process. So it's basically getting the answer first and then, and then the, uh, all the disclosure second versus an IPO process where you spend all the time going through the SEC first. And then at the end of the day, you know, on pricing day, you'll tell you, the underwriters will tell you what you're, you're going to live with. And so in that context, knowing who's going to come to the table and how that's going to look for a SPAC merger is attractive to a number of companies. So that can be strategic investors. We've seen a lot of that. Existing investors, SPACs that have a forward purchase agreement so that their, their money is coming from the SPAC themselves. And so while the, the, the activity level is still much lower than it was, um, it, it is on a relative basis on a, uh, you know, more active than maybe even the traditional IPO market for some of those reasons. Wow. Okay. So last time we talked about the implications of the rising rates in the debt markets, and obviously we've seen the Fed pretty active uh, in recent months. Uh, what types of deals are you seeing in the middle market sponsor back market today, Larry? When we spoke in February, I probably believed that the 10-year, let's use 10-year as kind of the point of the curve that really impacts deal market the most. It's not two, it's not the short end. I probably thought that we'd see rates even higher than we are today. So, you know, a roughly, we'll call it, you know, 100 base point move in the 10-year, while that seems like a big move from where we'd been just three, six months ago. In the scheme of the last 20 years, we're still looking at what is in the, you know, two standard deviations away from where, where historically the 10 years been. So it is still very much a borrower's market. Spreads have not really backed up that much in the middle market, mostly because what we're dealing with there is not, you know, the fixed rate market, but rather floating rate lending market and mostly direct lenders. And those direct lenders are flush with cash. One of the things that's happened is as the public equity markets have obviously been repriced, as the um, you know, high growth uh, names in the venture market have clearly seen the repricing, money has flown even more on a relative basis to the direct lenders. So therefore, the financing for these middle market deals is still there. What's happened is the sellers have had to reconsider, do they wanna do a transaction sell their business today when there's uncertainty around what their EBITDA will be. And again, this for the majority of private you know, market M&A, they're being traded off of EBITDA or free cash flow. They're being squeezed there. Certainly there's fear of squeeze, right? So input costs going up, uh, certainly labor costs going up. How much of that can I pass on to, the, to my, um, my purchaser? So what we're seeing right now is the negotiations on deals is now more balanced. It was a seller's market in 2020 and 21. 
I think there's a balance now between a buyer and a seller's market. So what does that mean? Companies that believe they can really benefit by having uh, you know, smart PE investors alongside them for the next phase of their growth, they'll do deals because they're not looking to get the highest price. They're not looking to necessarily top tick. The deals that are falling away are those where it was opportunistic. You know what? I see where the value is. Love that price. Not sure it's going to stay there. I'll sell. Those deals aren't getting done right now. But in terms of where it's a balance and it's a good deal for buyer, good deal for seller, um, we're, we're seeing the, the, the M&A market in that middle market continue to be quite strong. My estimate for the year is it's probably down 10 to 20% overall from last year. But last year was a record year. Like I think the syndicated market's being dead. I, it's amazing the process they were running and going to the, the, the private lending community, how active and aggressive they still are. And so it really hasn't moved nearly as much as I would have anticipated uh, because of the competition among those lenders. So, so Larry, just so I'm clear, so you said down 10%. What does that, what does that mean regarding the M&A market? That I think middle market sponsor back M&A will right. end the year somewhere like down 10 or 15%. Gotcha. But it's, but it's not because there's not buyers that want to put money to work or lenders. It's going to be that the sellers who were somewhat opportunistic have fallen away. And one of the things that also for the U.S. market, we have to be cognizant of, 20 and 21 both saw a lot of deals in the second half driven by tax fears. So if I don't sell in 21, I worry there'll be a tax deal that will basically increase capital gains. So I don't want to sell in 22. That move forward deals. First, 21 to 20 because of the election, then 22 to 21, will they come up with a tax deal? That specter is gone. There will be no changes that are going to impact capital gains. So that, that element of the market that was sellers trying to beat an increase in capital gains tax won't exist again until maybe 24. So we've got some time there. That, that's gone, that piece of it. So for most companies with equity prices off, in many cases significantly, you still have companies that would like to do financing or need to do financing, but may be unwilling to want to worry about the potential dilution and unwilling to use equity. What type of financings are companies doing in this category? Um, let me let Grant talk about the financing side. I just want to talk about one thing that we haven't covered yet that is built in here. A little bit hits your IPO question, also hits this. I think there are a lot of companies who believe in a more volatile financing market, that they're too small on their own to continue to live in that environment if this goes on for 12 or 24 months. So one area where there is some M&A opportunity and what we're seeing is companies that they believe they were of scale maybe a year ago are less of scale today. So there's M&A activity of two companies in the same sector maybe complimentary, would have gone alone, coming together now, solving their financing problem. Because as a bigger firm, more stability, more, more cash flow, more revenues, whatever, they're both a better financing or, you know, entity, but importantly, they can withstand the, this volatile time. So that I think is the first thing, let's start strategic. We're gonna, that's gonna be a big part of what I think is the M&A of the next 18 months. Now let's talk to what, if they don't have an M&A alternative, what are the financing choices? Yeah, so look, I think that, um... I would have predicted and, um, and would have been wrong <laughs> that the first market to really return would be the convertible market. And the rationale for that is that volatility actually increases the, the value. We've seen a lot of volatility. 
and there's a backstop on, on, the, on the credit of those companies. We just simply haven't seen that yet. And so even with the stocks being down so much, if we're looking at a 30% premium, let's say on a convertible, that's still way below where they were likely just two quarters ago. And so last year at this time, uh, the market had priced 95 convertibles. So far this year, they've just been 16. And that ratio is very similar to what we're seeing in the follow-on market. Now, that is still above the IPO comparison, but nevertheless, we haven't seen that really start to, to come to fray. So, so what are folks doing? Um, they're, being, they're being careful with respect to making sure their deal gets done um, in a kind of a brick by brick way, rather than throwing the doors open and see who comes. And so that means a lot of confidentially marketed transactions are happening to make sure that you know where the demand is. But if folks don't like their price, it's a hard market to, 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 to try to convince folks to, to come in and, 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 and pay a good price because investors still aren't making money on these deals, even though that they're down a lot. Year-to-date follow-ons, for example, investors uh, have lost money. They're down 7 to 8% um, year-to-date. Typically, that, that, that's usually a 3 to 5% increase. And so if you're an active investor and you want to use the deal calendar to help you make money, so far this year, that hasn't played out. And so it is a challenging environment. So what companies are instead looking at are trying to figure out a way to how do you finance your business plan with ways that are less dilutive, not non-dilutive in some cases. Um, and so what we're seeing is our at-the-market programs, which allow companies to sell small amounts of equity over time increase pretty dramatically. And so those are available that you don't want to market a hundred to two hundred million dollar deal, but you really feel like you need to raise 15 or 20 million dollars this quarter to offset burn. That's been been way more popular. And those those programs are available for companies that have are S1 S3 filers or been public for more than a year. Many of the companies we're seeing, particularly companies that have DSPAC, have been looking at a, a new product called Equity Lines of Credit or ELOCs to essentially, as a predecessor to, an, to be able to be an ATM filer. They're more expensive, but we've seen 50 of those filings so far this year. And that is a huge increase. And so it's really more of a, how can I backstop the opportunity to, uh, to make sure that we're gonna be well-financed? And if you take just a, an, I'll take a second as an aside, um, when you look at biotech, which is such an important uh, uh, sector for, for Cowan and one of the most active in the, in, in the public markets, we are seeing an incredible increase in activity in non-dilutive ways to finance. Those are debt deals. Those are term debt deals where uh, we're getting excellent, excellent terms, particularly when you look at the cost of capital when stocks are down, that looks attractive. And we're looking at royalty sales and synthetic royalty sales that for many of these companies are an outstanding way to be able to raise capital. So you're essentially, it's a product level transaction versus an equity transaction. And in those areas, in what we call our private capital solutions group, which is really everything outside of ECM, we have had the busiest two quarters that we've ever had. In fact, th this first half of the year is we did more deals than all of last year. And so that shift has absolutely happened to find ways. Now that's not applicable to every company, 
but that's why we we're looking for those solutions that are maybe either less dilutive or in some cases non-dilutive to equity. Well, it's, it's great to hear that there's some interesting things going on, despite the fact that, you know, the turbulence we've seen in the overall markets. So we've touched on M&A in a couple of different avenues thus far. We talked a little bit in the middle market space. We talked a little bit about a couple of other areas. While M&A activity overall has slowed down, what areas are you seeing the most active conversations today? And what do you think are the types of transactions that are going to get done? And David, I'm, I'm going to presume here for a second, we're really talking about public market M&A. I think we've addressed the private, you know, PE-based right. M&A activity before. Uh, so I think what's, what's really happened, and, and Grant hit this implicitly when he talked about the fact, you know, some of the deals that we're poised to do and, and, and what, what folks are thinking about. Unfortunately, businesses are run, just like everything else in our endeavors, by humans that have recency effect in the way they look at things. So if you think about when we spoke in February, um, other than maybe in certain parts of life sciences where the trade-off had really started in the second quarter of last year, in the first quarter, most of our clients were shell-shocked. The sell-off kind of began in November, December. They thought it was gonna be temporal and it became clear, now this is actually a longer term um, you know, repricing due to inflationary fears, interest rate increasing, et cetera. That impacts everything from how do I finance to do I have to change my growth plans? Do I lay people off to ultimately the most strategic decisions? Do I change what I think my mix of businesses should be? And I think that we're now, here we are halfway through this year at the point where companies have recognized we're in a new regime. And this new regime may be longer than they expect. Uh, we may be in a world of you know, um, elevated inflation for a while. And uh, therefore, I've got to figure out what my mix of business should be. And within that, there's two um, types of business mix changes a management team can go through. One is it's time to take advantage of weakness in others and be offensive. And so there are those who are really well positioned long cash, maybe lined up exactly right for the kind of environment we're in. And they're looking at what they can find in the repriced arena to be opportunistic in. I think we're early there. Some companies are always sitting around with their business development, looking at 20 different targets, and they're ready to pounce right now. Others are just starting to do that work. So I'd argue that opportunistic kind of transaction, we're probably looking at mostly 2023 in terms of we're going to see those deals really start kicking in because folks are starting to kick into gear with that. The flip side, which I'd say the majority of companies are in, is they didn't necessarily have the strongest position going into the sell-off. And so they're thinking more defensively. How do I highlight value? And so I generally think of that as the fit and focus um, in analytics, which is um, first, can I go it alone or do I need to combine with someone bigger? We talked about that before, companies coming together, real kind of typical mergers of equals. But I think what we're gonna see um, as a disproportionately large part of the business the next 12 months is the standard fit and focus, which is I do two things really well. I have another business that I maybe am not the right owner of that asset. You know, it, was, it seemed interesting. I'm two years into the build, five years into the build, 
there's another five years to go. I should sell that asset either by spinning it out and letting the shareholders that really want that to own it. And so I do a typical, typical carve spin, et cetera. I sell it maybe to private equity. So the private equity owner can put more capital into it and finish in the plan. My existing business therefore is more highlighted for the public market by getting rid of um, a third wheel that maybe doesn't make sense. Um, or I sell that, that subsidiary that isn't critical to a strategic partner and get value through the value of the synergies, et cetera. All those conversations we're having with companies, we're just not seeing that many of those being executed yet because where we are in that cycle is we're now at the point people recognize it. They recognize it's durable. They're doing the work. And that's, I think, second half this year into next year. I know, Grant, if you see it differently, but I, I, I can't believe how much dialogue there is on that front. And obviously then, you know, how do you change your, your capital structure to match that as well? No, I totally agree. I guess the, the other, the only other interesting thing I'll say is we're seeing investors, public investors, looking at many of their portfolio companies and seeing similarities and encouraging dialogue with respect to, is there, is there an opportunity? We've seen investors actually put together symposiums of their portfolio companies to make those things more reality. I think there's a long way to go before we're there. Public I think it makes a lot of sense. Public Correct. Public. Exactly. I've, I've never seen it before. Right. And so I think right. it's really interesting. I'm not sure we're there yet, um, but we're seeing that kind of push to try to rationalize in that piece, which I think is really, is quite interesting. So we've obviously had a significant pullback already this, this year, but it feels like there's probably a little bit more to go, whether it's more activity from the Fed or other factors that could be driving things in the near term or through the summer at least. How are you advising companies to plan their potential market activities for the next several months? Sure. I'll, let me try to get a, 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 a swing of this. Not, obviously not an easy one. Um, I, I do think that now the, the Fed is acting and acting aggressively, um, it feels better. It feels better because the anxiety around getting started is gone. We're in the middle of it. And by and large part, once the economy has bottomed, wherever that is, generally speaking, the equity markets are already up and deals are already starting to happen. So it's a le really a leading indicator. And so the advice is really clearly, I don't know when this, we're going to see that inflection point, but when it comes, you have to be ready because if folks start making money in these deals, they will start to happen very aggressively. And we know based on our pipeline, many companies are waiting for that to happen. And I'll just give you a couple, maybe a, a, a couple anecdotes that, that could help um, elucidate that point. I went back in time and looked at when deal activity has this been this low, and I'll just generalize and say, basically five deals per week across all public types of financing is a very low level. We've seen that a few other times in history in the dot-com era in the early 2000s. Uh, when we were at five deals a week, uh, it took about six months and we were at about 10 deals a week. So, so six months and we doubled deals, it, both in the financial crisis and then during the COVID pandemic, the snapback was much more aggressive. By the time we were doing five deals a week after the financial crisis, six months later, we were doing 20 deals a week. And similarly, we were doing five deals a week right after the pandemic. It, within six months, again, we were about doing 20 deals a week. So I don't know when that inflection is going to 
hit. But when it does, the activity level will likely double or more, more likely could be quadruple if those historical trends stay. So you need to be ready to, be, to take advantage of that market activity. That's a great point, Grant. I'd say the one thing I, I wanna make sure we are not minimizing is just uh, how much pain there's been. Right? We're talking about an extended period of, to Grant's point, five deals you know, a week. That's the deal market. What that means from an institutional investor standpoint is that we have some real carnage in the investor universe. And you know, the, we've seen, as is needed, by the way, for the market to go through a proper bear market, we've seen significant hedge funds shut down, literally open on Monday, closed by Friday. We've seen periods, including maybe going back last week, uh, well, week and a half ago, that Thursday and Friday where, was it, where the market felt like it was in complete freefall, never seen more hedge fund selling, which included some guys being liquidated and shut down than in the, that period. To me, while those are painful, in, in the form of kind of the destruction that's needed to rebuild, th that's actually encouraging for finding a bottom in capital markets activity. And by the way, it doesn't mean a bottom in the markets. Oftentimes capital markets activity does pick up before we actually have put it on bottom. The key is it's what brings volatility down to more manageable levels because that force selling correlation of one, everything going down, when that goes away, you can start to see deals come together because volatility goes, gets lower. Companies can at least have a confidence that if they launch the deal on Monday, they actually can price it uh, when they get to the pricing time. So I, I agree with Grant. I think we're getting closer. I wouldn't, and I hate to say this because I don't root bad, bad things on anybody, but I think for the market health, there might need to be a few more folks who are overlevered, a little bit too much you know, all in who get carried out before we can say, you know, it's safe to go back into the water, but we are a lot closer now than we were in February. And it does feel as if in the second half, we're gonna see, you know, a, an increase in deal flow. Just don't know how much. So, so we're coming close to the end of our time and we've talked about a lot of challenges in the market, but before we go, I wanted each of you to kind of talk about some of the bright spots that you've observed in recent months as we end the podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a, I have a couple. Well, maybe even a few. I think that the investors we speak to have set themselves up for recovery, meaning many have more liquidity and are, are interested in getting back in when the water seems okay to do so, as Larry just commented on. And so where I see the beginnings of that already is in our at-the-market programs, where there are these beaten down companies, we are seeing an increased flow of saying, hey, this looks really interesting, would they sell? Would they sell to this level? Now, many aren't saying no, but it's an indicator of, re of real interest to come into new stories. And then the second is actually a conference that we just conducted. And Larry can comment on this. He was there. I was able to make it. But we did the first ever conference in what we call a healthcare revolution, which is really a way of combining a lot of what we're doing in tools and diagnostics area, which is really a uh, it's almost too narrow of a scope to describe, but what, what we saw both by side, so we had investors there and we had many of our, our clients there. People wanted to be there, talk, so it goes back to what I started, talk to one another, see where the opportunities are going to be, really dig in. So when, when things start to look a little more promising, they know where to go. And there was a real excitement to be together 
and to understand what's happening for the for this next stage because in these areas of high innovation and that's really what we bank high innovation is that you need to have that heavy content level to make sure that that you can you know get into to to the right investments and be able to sell to the right investors and i think that is a highlight that conference of getting people together just as a precursor for much of the activity well let's i'll just say the grant mentioned the the conference i totally agree and i i heard someone there make a comment that echoed and so these are public market generally public market investors and you know companies that were there it was a public market investor who talking about the space made a comment that was almost the same as i heard from a private equity investor last week talking about what had been going on last year in certain parts of private equity both used the term we've gotten rid of the flippers and what they meant by that was the analogy to in real estate, when you know, generally, if you buy a home, you're buying it because you want to own it for the long term. When things get very frothy, people buy a second or third home as an investment because they think you can buy it today and flip it six months later, and they don't need to actually worry about the fundamentals. What we're now at, because where the market is, we're in a fundamental market. So the folks who really know healthcare and have invested the time, they're relieved. They don't like where they're where, what's happened to their portfolios. But they're relieved that folks who didn't really understand the space, didn't put the time in, but were often coming in and pricing up names, they're gone. And they're gone for a while, right? So the real guys who do the homework are the ones who'll be making deals happen, partnering with companies. Same thing we're hearing in the private equity space. They've gotten rid of some of the fast money that maybe was coming in and distorting valuations. And the same thing in the venture world. Um, I had a conversation with a fairly sizable venture fund who was predicting that the money that we've been putting to work in the last three months and the kinds of deals they're seeing right now will be by far their best you know, year of investing in the last seven years. Because what happened was, again, the renters pushed out, they're real owners, they love the space, they'll be with these companies for the long-term. And so it's their kind of market. So, so I do think that's a bright spot, which is you know, the, when, folks who do the homework and really understand the space start to want to invest again, that's when you start to rebuild. And we're, we're right there. And so I agree with Grant entirely. And maybe with that, what I'd love to do is just first, as always, Grant, thank you for joining when we do these calls. Uh, David, thank you so much for hosting. You know, we feel very lucky to have you as our moderator of these conversations. Uh, I hope that well, both of you and your families have a great July 4th weekend. And uh, again, to all of our listeners, uh, same to you. And let's hope for a really productive second half of the year. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.